This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Yehuda and Hadass Glick know how to show love to widows and orphans because they've been there. With their unique approach, they cover loss with love in a practical, empowering way. And tonight, you're gonna learn how to help them put this important commandment into action. Plus, we have an extended program tonight with a special guest from Ukraine because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Passover is now behind us, and we are now nearing the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, too. Sunday is a high day. The seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts uh, sundown Saturday, and you can see it on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you can see it right there in dark yellow, the seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And before you know it, Shavuot will be here, and that's why you need to get our new calendar. You can order with the information on the bottom of your screen right there, and it will be delivered to you very, very soon. We've got them in-house. Now, let's talk about the fourth and final episode of Our Father's Heart with my co-host, David Robinson. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so those calendars I just arrived, so yes. we'll be getting them in the mail. Now, there's a lot of calendars a in the backlog. Lot. Yes. <laughs> so it, it might take it, a while, It is right? quite a process to, it's all hands on deck. Okay. You know, to get those calendars right, out. So if you don't get possible. your calendar in a few days, just be yeah, patient, just right? be patient. They will be out, and it, it'll take us two or three days to, to okay. get them all out. All right, very good. All right, so our... Tonight, uh, we're talking with Yehuda and Hadas Glick, and they're talking about uh, ministering to widows and orphans. Mm -hmm. And as we've already learned in this series, uh, a, an orphan doesn't necessarily have to be a kid with no parents, right. just one missing parent. That's right. And the idea that Hadas and, uh, or Hadas, <laughs> Yehuda and, and, and uh, uh, Yehuda and Hadas are, are looking at is you don't necessarily have to, well, you shouldn't rather, replace that person. Exactly. You just uphold the person who is left and empower right. them so they can go on on their own. Right. Now you have a unique perspective on this because you're a widower. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my wife passed away. We were married for 24 years, knew each other for 26. Uh, suddenly, just a sudden thing. And um, so then you find yourself, you know, the only parent with two teenage kids, 14 and 12 year old. Mm. And, um, you know, I always say that when you lose a spouse, you're part of a club that nobody wants to be a part of, but everyone will be at some point of their life. And it's a very tough thing to go through. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, my, uh, you know, after a period of time went by, um, I met someone else and I have remarried since. And uh, one thing that she always told the kids, you know, and they were grown up at this point, but uh, is, look, I'm not here to replace your mother. Mm -hmm. I'm here to honor your mother's memory and hopefully I can be here to, to be a good stepmom for you. Mm, you know? That's so, so good. Yeah, it was, and it, and it worked out really well, you know, the way she approached it. Um, you know, I think for us, it was a, a very traumatic time. You have so many people that are coming and helping, and then everybody begins to go home. And then you have your local people that were really good friends with my wife that were, you know, felt um, a call to, to really just pour on the love and help and, and sure, all that. Yeah. 
Uh, for me, it, there came a place or a, a time where I had to say, look, I really am grateful and I appreciate all your help. But I, I and the kids, we need to learn how to do this on our own. You know, so there is, does come a point, I think, where you have to face life and go, okay, this is what I've been dealt. Uh, how do I navigate this mm. here? And, and two, you know, for those that are helping, you know, with the widowers, widows, or orphans, um, their life comes back in. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're devoted to helping someone, but you have your own family, you have your own kids. So that, that help tends to fade away somewhat, you know. Yeah. And, and there are, you know, it's a proven fact that with men, widowers, they tend to seclude themselves more. Um, they deal with more, uh, you know, possibilities of becoming depressed. Um, there's not as big of a support system per, you know, the percentages. Uh, but right. with women, uh, there's more of a family involvement with that. And there's, there seems to be, as far as what the data shows, that women tend to have a lot more of a support mm. system when they lose their husband. And that's what the Glicks are trying to do. They're, they're developing this support system. So mm-hmm. they have these uh, times when uh, widowers and widows can come together with their kids oh, that's really and good. all yeah. meet each other. And just, you know, we're all in the same boat. Oh, okay, I get it. And so good to, you know, just relate to somebody who's been through what you've been through, regardless of what it is. Yeah. And that's what their call is. Yeah. Because... And both of them have lost a spouse. They it's know what it's, it's like. It's another aspect of community yeah. is what they're doing. And yep. we talk about that all the time, the importance of community. Yep. Um, and, and that is just really uh, an awesome thing that they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's not about, like you said, it's not about bringing over a casserole every right. single day going, okay, enough already. Uh, I got that's, you. That's, <laughs> where I, that's where I was at. Right, and so it's just, you come together and just, okay, this is what I need. I just need to talk to somebody. Yeah, I need, you're talking I need to the people, kids to play with other kids. Exactly, and, and these are people that have been through the same thing, so they can relate instantly yep. to what you're, you're referring to. Yeah, so. so that's what they're doing. So great support. Speaking of support, we have something very special for our supporters, mm-hmm. and there's only about a week or so left, and that is this great teaching from uh, Keith Johnson, by the way, and it's called The Resurrection of Passover. Passover. Uh, this is great. Uh, on the back here it says, what do an egg-laying rabbit and a Babylonian fertility goddess have to do with the resurrection of our Hebrew Messiah? Right. Michael asks that all the time. Yeah. Good question. So uh, with the resur- resurrection of Passover, Keith Johnson leads us through the dispensational disaster of mixing the holy with the profane and how there's been a conspiracy to crucify Passover itself. And not a, not a modern con- uh, conspiracy, right? but a, uh, one that was a long time ago. Uh, and through the ages, that's the Bible we have today. Certain translations were made and mm-hmm. little twists. And this is where most people get the story wrong. That's right. And so this is what Keith is coming to set the record straight. So this is a gift from Keith, from Michael to you for a gift of $50 to say thank you for supporting this ministry. Uh, if you'd like to give $100 or more, you'll get this and what David's got there. And this is uh, Proverbs 50, 15, is it? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm pretty sure. It is, uh, call on me in the day of the trouble, day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And this is a very heavy duty. Yeah. Yeah, it's not um, it's edged metal piece, piece with uh, Jerusalem, the city. You see that? Yep. And a uh, very beautiful piece. Love that. And then for a gift of $300 or more, you'll get everything and this thing. Now, David, uh, tell us what's all on this thing Well, here. you have your, your metal uh, ephod, I guess. Yes. Is what you have here. Then you have your yod. The yod, which your is pointer, the, the pointer, your pointer. Which we had a couple of months ago at a love gift. We yeah. did. We actually we did. So if you did get that love gift now, you would have two. Yeah. So <laughs> the mini version. Uh, and then this is an actual Torah scroll, a Hebrew Torah scroll. And 
get the and that's all five books of Moses in Hebrew. Yes. On wooden rollers or yes. staves, so as they're called. You can pull this out and wow, be ready for Shavuot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the challenge is figuring out where you are because there's no verses. There's no. That's right. Chapter. You just got to know where you are. Yeah. It's just practice your Hebrew before you get this. Exactly. <laughs> so it's great. So yeah, there's only about a week or so of this left, and so we really encourage folks to get this uh, to support the ministry. It helps us get through the summer months. There's always a lag time yeah. in the summer because people go on vacation. And, yeah. Exactly. And and that's when we need you most. I mean, we understand that. And um, but you know, we're still trying to develop new programs yep. and, and get people. And uh, it takes stop. a lot of people to row this boat, you know. Yep. And um, and just just remember the excitement you got when you first came into the Torah. And, um, you know, we want to share that with the world. We want to share it with our Christian brothers and sisters that, hey, you know, the law was not done away with. Let us show you here. And yep. so uh, with that excitement, with your giving, you know, we're able to reach the world. And it's just a great thing. Perfect. Thanks, David. Mm -hmm. All right, so Yehuda and Hadas Glick know how to show love to widows and orphans because they've been there. With their unique approach, they are covering loss with love in a practical, empowering way. And tonight, you're gonna learn how you can help them put this important commandment into action. Plus, stay tuned after tonight's episode for a special 20-minute update from someone who is helping out in Ukraine. Very important stuff. First, get ready for the Kiddush with Michael. It's coming up next. What do an egg-laying rabbit and a Babylonian fertility goddess have to do with the resurrection of our Hebrew Messiah? Good question. In The Resurrection of Passover, Keith Johnson leads us through the dispensational disaster of mixing the holy with the profane, truth with mythology, and how a translational conspiracy was devised to crucify Passover itself. I'm gonna tell you right now what I think they're doing. They're trying to crucify Passover. The Resurrection of Passover with Keith Johnson is not for sale and it's not on YouTube. The only way to watch it is to receive it as a thank you gift from Michael Rood. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Resurrection of Passover on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Resurrection of Passover, plus a beautiful wall hanging featuring Psalm 50 verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Or, with a donation of $300, we'll send you the Resurrection of Passover, the Psalm 50 wall hanging, plus a handheld Torah scroll. This breathtaking showpiece features all five books of Moses in Hebrew, wooden rollers, a velvet Torah cover, and an ornamental breastplate. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections featuring Keith Johnson are available only in April, and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. Some of the traditions in modern-day Judaism are what Yeshua said are takanot, laws which change biblical law, which are forbidden, and Yeshua said don't do them. But other traditions are remembrances of good things in the past, and they are a shadow picture of good things to happen in the future. On the Sabbath, we 
take two challah loaves, two loaves of bread. This represents the manna, the double portion that we received on the sixth day. This was God's provision for us. And this is what it continues to mean to us today. When Yeshua, just before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, at the last supper that he had with his disciples, he took bread and he blessed, not the bread, he blessed the Most High. And he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember this. By his stripes, we were healed. And then he took the cup and he said, in the prayer of Melchizedek to Abraham, Baruch atah Yahuvah, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, Borei puri hagafen. Blessed are you, Yahuvah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said this, what you have been doing for a thousand years from the time of Abraham, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. This is how I will pay for the broken covenant. I will pay the death penalty and do this until I come. Welcome to the final episode of Our Father's Heart. We've learned that Our Father's Heart is centered on orphans and widows. We learned the biblical definition of orphans and widows and how God sees them. How are we to treat them? That's what we're gonna cover in today's episode. Please welcome back Keith Johnson, mm. Yehuda Glick, and his wife, Hadas, direct from Israel. Hadas, hello Hadas. Hadas. <laughs> the star of I'm the show. <laughs> She's here today not as my wife, she's here as the initiator and uh, Director General of Amitzim. Amitzim, all right, very good. All right, so we've learned about who the orphans and widows are, the, the proper definition, but how are we to treat them? I mean, obviously this has to be in the spirit of Yehovah, mm. but uh, give us some context Let me here. tell you something. Uh, uh, every time I talk to uh, Yehuda and every time I talk to Hadas. From the first time that I've met her until now, she's always working on answering that question. Mm. How do we treat the fatherless and the widows, the young widow, widows and widowers? And rather than me saying anything, and Yehuda, we wore him out, I would like for her <laughs> to tell us right now, how do we, Hadas, treat these um, orphans, these fatherless and widows? How do we do it? much for this uh, lovely uh, visit in, in to the U.S. Through, the, through my camera from home, from Israel, from Yerushalayim, from Jerusalem. And, um, and I'm very uh, excited to share my uh, vision and to share my, my ideas regarding the young widows and orphans um, in all over the world, actually, not just in Jerusalem and not just in Israel. I think that uh, the way to treat um, the, the young widows with orphans 
is to first of all see what the Bible tells us to do and to follow it, just to follow exactly what it tells us to do. It tells us something very weird. It tells us something very unexpected. Um, you would think that to do what to take care of them is to like feed them, is to make sure they have um, a roof, um, make, make sure that they, they, you know, they have the necessities. But the Torah doesn't tell us that. The Torah tells us very awkwardly, like unexpected, tells us to make them happy first. And then the second thing is to make them content, not satisfied. And, and, and their well-being is, is up to us. And how do we do that? How do we make somebody happy? Can we make someone happy? Their father passed away, they're little kids. She's a widow. She's a young widow. Um, how do we make her happy? How do we make her content? Is it enough that we make sure that she has her necessities? So the thing is that not, because to be content and to be uh, uh, full is more than just necessities. And that's what we um, make sure that they have. We make sure that the loss of shield will get back a shield, a back, a backbone, a feel someone's there behind them to hold on to them and to give them more than the regular. We basically, if I'll tell you really just to sum it all up, I will tell you, spoil them rotten. That's what <laughs> I would say. <laughs> but really, what I, we, we do is we make sure that they come to a place that is full of, of everything that they need, everything that they, that they wish for. They don't need to do anything. We don't ask them to do anything. We just tell them, just come, rest. Just like the house of grandma and grandpa, where you sometimes you come and you tell your mother, I'm exhausted with the children. I'm exhausted. I can't take it up or whatever. And, and, and your mother or your father say, just come, just come by. And you come, you pick up your legs, and, and the kids are just running around, and grandma and grandpa, they take care of them. We do the same thing. We mimic the, the concept of grandma and grandpa, the ideal grandma and grandpa, of course, and we let them come. We have uh, volunteers make sure the kids have um, what to do. They're busy. They have activities. They have arts and crafts. They have uh, uh, people that know how to talk to them, how to speak to them um, uh, therapeutic-wise. We have like uh, uh, music therapeutic groups. We, we have all sorts of things. Nobody is has to do anything. We give them zero demands. They're so fed up with all the demands around them. They have to take care of the children. They have to take care of the schooling. They have to take care of the health. They have to take care of the food. They have to take care of the house. They have to take care of the electricity. They have to take care of the bills. They have to take care of, 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 of finance. They, they have to take care of the car. They have to, they, they just can't hear or feel or think of one more thing to do. So what we do is we make sure that they come to a place where they do nothing, just mm. nothing. Everything is being done for them. Mm. And then at the end of it, there's even more. There's, there's a, a meal, but a full, nice, homey meal, not anything that, that reminds you of any uh, uh, institution. It's a homey meal with like lots of salads and lots of, uh, um, you know, like a main course and, and, and side dishes made and done right there so the kids and everyone sees that it's done right there the smell the smell of heaven is right there for them and at the end of the activity they have that but that is like one concept one that we do and that is just once a week we do more you want to hear so can i can i ask a question 
Can I ask a question? So I, yeah. I see here, and this is beautiful. This came the day that Yehuda was leaving on the airplane. He was so excited. He said, Keith, look at these beautiful things, but they weren't folded. So my wife folded them for us, and they're beautiful. But they, they, I want you guys to look at these. It says this, Hadas. It says, we believe in them. We honor them. We remember them. We bring them light and joy. And so you all have volunteers all over Israel. It's understanding you have three centers right now. Uh, yeah. Ted Clayton asked a really quick, uh, important question today. He asked Yehuda, and he didn't answer it so well. He said, five years from now, what would you hope that you'd be able to do? And I did jump in and say this. I said, there will be at least 10 centers, and the world will know about what you do with Amitzim, but I'm not a very good ad, uh, ambassador. He's a good ambassador, but you're the best. Tell the world right now, what would you like to see happen with Amitzim as you're doing these wonderful things of believing in them, honoring them, remembering them, and bringing them light and joy? Is that a hard question? Do you, do you, can, you, can you just talk a little bit? Like the first time I asked you the question, I said, Hadass, what do you want to do? And you told me in 2020, and, we, and we've done that, right? But now right. tell us what else, as you're blessed with uh, our neighbors around the world that will, will get excited, what else are you hoping will happen? I really hope, first of all, that in 10 years, we're going to have 20, not 10. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we said five years, so that's about right. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you why. People are calling me from all over Israel. When are you opening a, a, a center for us in our area? When is it going to be open? What, what about us? What about us? They keep calling. They keep asking, what about us? And so my heart goes out to all of them, and I hope that in 10 years we'll have 20 and centers like that all around Israel. And... Um, and that is one thing, because they need it. They really need it. And in every center, we have uh, uh, national service girls that go into the houses of young kids in elementary school and help them out with everything they need, because the mother or the father, the, the, the young widows, can't take care of all these tasks you know, that they have. And so little things that we can do for them we try to do for them with the national service uh, uh, girls that come in. But the main thing that I want to have and that I want to happen in 10 years, I want to have every single year a whole week of recognition in that one thing that Hashem, one Almighty, keeps telling us. Remember the, the widows and the orphans. And we're going to have a memorial day, not of the dead, of the living, of the young widows and orphans. We're gonna have a whole week of the whole world internationally bringing light and joy into these houses. And it's gonna happen all year round, but that week is going to be something so strong and so beautiful and so amazing that they're gonna have pride. They're gonna have that pride that is lost and long gone for years, for decades, for, for, for centuries, it's going to come back. And that's going to be the beginning of redemption. But first, we need to do that. We need to have the whole world knowing, I did not forget, bringing up our hands to God, to Hashem, the one Almighty, and say, I did, I gave, and I did not forget. It is the 
most amazing thing that's going to happen in 10 years from now, and you guys are going to be in charge of it. You're going to make sure it happens. <laughs> I trust you. I thank you in advance. <laughs> I think we just got roped into something. Here. <laughs> <laughs> guys, you think I'm the only one to be kidnapped by Hadas? You guys are- <laughs> Hadas is totally devoted. Will, she, will you do us a favor, Hadas? We uh, we didn't get a chance to hear about your journey uh, to why this is. Of course, you feel called, and you're looking at Torah, but your own personal journey, your own your own. Uh, story is there? Is there a way you can share that with folks? We're, we're people, is, is that make sense? To, yeah, absolutely. Yes. yes. Can you do that? So of course, um, I know every single detail and every single uh, stone and pebble on the way, thanks to the fact that um, Hashem, the One Almighty, decided to uh, test me personally and give me all the. Uh, um, Challenges. All the all, all the all the challenges. All the uh, all the possible. Every every like I I am basically uh, um, a a, a, um, a prototype. Still at the a prototype, prototype, prototype of of a young widow with orphans. I was twenty nine years old, mm. and my Yossi passed away suddenly. Um, just uh, probably a. a, a I don't know, a stroke, what do you call it? I don't, I don't remember. Um, in Israel, my uh, oldest child, I was left with four children. Our oldest child was seven at the time, and my youngest one was seven months old. And I, um, and I needed to, to, to do lots of things. I needed to, first of all, understand what on earth just happened to me overnight. Yossi was the most funny guy, happy uh, I loved him to pieces. I was, I adored him. And all of a sudden I'm left with four kids. What do I, what is this? What does it mean? You know, the first thing that we all go through is like, just don't call me a widow. <laughs> For goodness sake, I'm 29 years old. I'm not 80. Don't call me a widow. And and the children don't say the word orphan. No way. It's impossible. The, the, the pain just to hear it, to look at the kids and to, and then little by little to just wake up at night and to wake up in the morning and to, to, to not know what to do and how to survive financially. How, how, do I, how does one survive? I don't know what you do in America, but here in Israel, I'm Israeli. Um, here in Israel, we need to income. We have to have to income. Two people have to go out to work. And, and, and that was one thing. And the children and their wealth. And, and you know what? The dignity, the dignity is, is lost. And, and you walk around and you see people cross the street and they don't want, they, 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 they don't know what to tell you. Out of pain, maybe. I, 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 I cherish everyone, but maybe out of pain, I don't know from what, but I, I was lost. I was so lost and my own family didn't know what to do with me and the children. It's one of the most like devastating situations to be in. I struggle along the years. 17 um, years later, actually uh, 15 years later, my kids grew up, got out of the house, and they started to get out of the houses and um, out of the uh, uh, house, you know, like little by little going out to school and all that. And, um, and I decided that 
I need to do something about that. I, I can't have people like me in this world. It's just impossible. It's just not right. It's not right. What I went through is just not right. People shouldn't. People, we need to, to hear Hashem and, and serve Him by taking responsibility over our young widows with children. Children need to understand that having a parent, having a mother and a father is necessity. Necessity. It is it, just impossible. If you don't have a mother and a father, then, then, then it's something that everyone should be shaken and should say, like, what can I do? What can I do? How can I help? Because a father is something that kids, you know, a lot of people tell me, but women, you know, women, they, they, they know how to uh, cope with a house, with a home. And it's actually the widowers that it's harder for them. And uh, women know what to do with the children and all that. This is so wrong. This is so wrong. A child needs a father. A child needs a mother. And a mother needs a spouse. And a father needs a spouse. We need, we need a spouse to tell us how wonderful we are. How great we're doing. And and life is full of, of struggling, but there's someone out there that is with us. We're partners. We, we're not one. You know, I always say that that the first commandment is like, Ani Hashem Elokecha. I am your God Almighty. I, I don't know how to say it. Yehuda, Lord your God. And why is it too? Why is it two? It's two. And, and, and the fifth one, the bottom one and that one, the fifth one is respect your father and your mother. Again, two. Because we need balanced life. Mm. Us human, we need a balanced life. And without a mother or without a father, it's just not balanced. And unbalanced life is, is crooked. And the, and the soul is crooked and, 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 the, and everything around it. I, I had it of... I think that it was too hard for me. And, and when Yehuda found me, 17 and a half years after Yossi passed away, I think he found a pretty much uh, a broken soul. And, um, and I would like to thank you, Yehuda. For, <laughs> for <laughs> Should we tell the truth who found who? <laughs> for mending my soul every single day since. Wonderful. What do you say, Scott? Didn't I tell you I have the most wonderful wife in the Jeez, world? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I'm I just love hearing how the the kids when they respond to to when you come into their house. And now something Yehuda had had mentioned is not only the kids get enjoyment out of this, but the the mothers do too. Not only do they get to relax, but like you said, but tell us, you know, when you you started about how we are to treat them, and Yehuda mentioned in one of our earlier episodes that we are to treat them like queens. So how, when you come in and you treat the family, how is it that you treat the, the mother like a queen? What kind of special things do you do for her? First of all, it's in my mind. I know that I did not come to educate them. I know that I did not come to tell them what's the right thing for them to do and how, if they're going to do this, that's going to be better. And now, no Polish mothers there. <laughs> Just the <term. laughs> <laughs> now, 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 now you know. Now you know where I grew up. <laughs> Just to come and and to respect 
their doings and respect their home and respect their education and respect their decisions and respect their uh, uh, um, children and home by respecting them. I already give them the, the feeling that they're the queen, they're the, the, the rulers. They are the rulers of the house. I just came to help. And I did not come to help my way. I came to help their way. And it's her decision. It's her choice. It's her call. So when we come to a house, we uh, very often, uh, we, we tell the children, um, both Yehuda and me, when we come, we usually come together. We tell, uh, we tell the, the kids, we say, isn't your mother wonderful? Isn't she amazing? Oh, she's so beautiful because what is she missing? She's missing a spouse that will tell her that and that will, the kids will hear that because uh, 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 the, you know, like the best way uh, a spouse, that's their job to tell the mother and the mother should tell the father, oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're so amazing. You're so great. And the kids hear that and then they know that the mother is great and the mother is being respected. And so when we come to a, a widow, we know the house is lacking somebody that will keep saying and the kids will hear, you're wonderful, you're a queen, you're amazing, you're so smart, you're so uh, everything, you know, like on and on. So that's like one way. And the other way is that when we give kids, we always come with candies and lots of things that uh, dentists like. And we come and we, we, we bring them, but then we'll, we'll always say like, ask your mommy, ask your, your mother, ask, does she let, does, will she let, is it okay? We always say that. So the kid will know that the, the, prosper, the, the, the prosperity, the, the generosity, the giving, the everything that they get is not for me. It's not for my hands. It's from the mother. It's from the, the, the father. It's from their parent. Because everything in life comes to them from the parent, not from a stranger, not from an outsider, not from me, not from a, uh, you know, like, so uh, wonderful person that came and helped. And no, it's, it, it is thanks to the, the mother. All right. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'm taking notes here from my own life where we have two parents in the house and I'm learning, oh, gee, you know, I need to treat my wife more like a queen. You know, this is, this is good advice here, guys. Take, take a note here. So we're going to come back with more very sage advice from Hadass in just a minute here. But I want to thank you for making this show possible. You bring uh, Yehuda here and you make it possible for us to have Glick, uh, Glick, <laughs> Hadass Glick also with us uh, from Israel. And so we want to thank you for that. And we want to give you an opportunity to continue giving to this ministry so that others can see this program. We'll give you a couple minutes. Thank you for that. Well, Welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for your support. You also supported Yehuda and Hadass Glick and their organization because that's what we do. We support each other. So thank you very much for doing what you do, guys. And uh, Keith, you have something in your hand, which uh, I they do. recently I did do. in Israel. If you could I will tell you that. something, folks. I, uh, when I picked up uh, Yehuda at the airport, um, I was. Every, people have to understand, this happened very quickly. From the phone call that I received a few weeks ago from you all saying you were coming to visit. And by the way, Hadass was not able to make it this time say this time, this time, uh, but maybe next time. Uh, so since I pick up Yehuda, I'm trying to talk to him. I'm saying, Yehuda, we've got to figure this out and go through programs. And he would stop me constantly. He said, look at this, look at this. And he'd show me picture after picture and testimony after testimony. And I want you all to share some of these testimonies with people. But before we do this, Yehuda showed me something that you send to children. And it touched my heart to the point that we call this series, Our Father's Heart from Jerusalem. 
And when he showed me this, it really touched me. And I want Yehuda to explain what he says to children and then show to the people this before you share some testimonies. Would you do that? <laughs> okay, so we, uh, our week that we, that Hadass said she wants, the week that the whole world will recognize and the families of the, of the of Amitim is Hanukkah, the Hanukkah week. And this week we... Uh, just uh, went around the country, yes. not we personally, we personally also, we reached 3,000 orphans, 3,000 children that had lost a parent, which is 1,500 families in 250 different uh, towns, cities, and we gave them a box. Now, the box doesn't have, doesn't have food in it. It doesn't have blankets and socks in it. it so what is in the box? The box is full of love, of light, ah. and we try to think of things that are creative, create creative. And one of the beautiful things we had, uh, we have this little thing here. It says in it, to be opened in case of need, in case of emergency, in case mm -hmm. of sorrow. It, in, it, 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 it consists of enlightened faith. We tell every child that we're bringing him a box. We tell, listen, your box is personal. How do you know your box is personal? Because in your box, we have a picture of you. <laughs> what? So look, it says to be opened in time of need. The child opens it, and he has in here a mirror in the shape of a heart. Amen. Ah, that's cool. And he <laughs> opens it, and he sees himself there. And he, the kids go crazy. Yes. They, they're, they're so excited. They love yes. it. Yes. yes. They love yes. it. They show it around. They go to their friends and they say, you see what this is? And they show it around. <laughs> and it, 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 this is one of the things that we had inside the box. We had inside the box several different things, a lot of uh, arts and crafts, a lot of light, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, riddles that they could do, the, the, the brothers and the parents together. Uh, we had little uh, riddles with matches, and we have these a, a, a string of lead lights where they put the uh, yeah. the the, uh, the uh, like uh, sort of like like clothespins and they hang up pictures. And uh, uh, just this, this morning, I saw this morning the people that the people are continue writing posts. This morning, one of the the fathers said, "My my daughter refused to use her." Her bed lamp and anymore. She only wants to use that light. That light. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there are so many of these responses. And maybe uh, Hadas, you want to describe also how you prepared the boxes in a way that the children love them. Is this is your idea? This is your inspiration, and it was so perfect. Thank you. Yes, um, the truth is that that those uh, boxes are all uh, got uh, wrapped by volunteers, hundreds of volunteers. And, um, and then they were shipped out and sent out to north, south, east, west, all around Israel to a smallest little town and to the smallest little kibbutz. There was a one child, orphan child in a kibbutz somewhere up north and somewhere down south. We got them. We got there. We came to them and we came to them. Not by post mail, not by, by, you know, like we didn't ship it out. We came to them with people and we ah. told people the only way to come and bring that light box, we called it a box of light. You come to the house, you knock on the door and we gave them the names 
of the children. You say you knock on the door, you know who's there, you know who's who's behind that door. And so let's say the name was 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 Ido. That's an Israeli name, okay? But that's like a common Israeli name. Let's say Ido, okay? So you know or, or Tamar. And then you know Tamar is behind that door. You knock on the door, you have a number of the mother or the father, the, the widow or the widower, you made sure that they're in the house. You made sure that you come at time when the kids are in the house and, and the parent knows, and that's respect to the parent. You don't come just like uh, as is. And then you come and you say like, hello, is Tamar home? Um, I have a package for Tamar. The kids, they love it. It's like it fills them with so much joy and and, you know, like respect. They're like so, you know, they like grown up. Somebody came with a package for that. <laughs> and it's like to me, their name. So that was like something very special to begin with. And then afterwards, I said, I don't want them to have a package where they open it. Oh, oh that's what they oh, Very nice. And you close it. I wanted them to 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 dwell in it to i don't know if the word, word dwell is positive could, could be positive too but i wanted them to to deal with the package so every single little thing that was in that package was wrapped with a little sticker says uh, uh, bravery um, uh, um, to uh, um, love, hugs, kisses, um, lots of, of, of things for them to know that somebody cares about them. Somebody's there for them. Someone thinks of them. And so a child, you see lots of the pictures, children sit and there's lots of wrappings around them because they have to open and open and open and open. And it's, what's in here? What's in here? The heart is floating with, with, with energy, with positive energy with with love and and with uh, uh happiness for much longer than just to open up a box of oh okay that's what i have here so because maybe some of the things that are in the box maybe a child has it already in the house you know like that what the uh, yehuda described the lead uh, uh string and, and all those things it doesn't make a difference the difference is that he was like oh there's more wow there's more there's more there's more because he comes from a world of less Having, not having a father, not having a mother is less. We give them more. And when, when I call it above nature, beyond nature, we mean that also with whatever we do. Anything that we do, we think of how we're going to do that. It's going to be above, beyond, more. So those packages were wrapped inside with wrapping. You had to open and open and open. And the children were like... The, and the the happiness was in the house, and then the happiness was with the with the parent, and then the happiness was on the walls. The walls were happy. By the time our uh, uh, volunteer left the house, the walls were happy. Mm. Well, Adas is telling the way things were actually were, but I think maybe Hadas, you can read uh, what what the parents themselves wrote. Just a few examples. You'll you'll say a few, and I'll say a few. Okay. All right. So this one, maybe um, it's a bit uh, long, so I'm just going to cut and short. And it goes, Chanukah Sameach. Chanukah Sameach is happy Chanukah. Kacha Omrim, so they say. Zelot Tamid Sameach, it's not always happy. And betach shelo pashut, and definitely not easy. Velot Tamid Malay Be'or, and definitely not full of light. 
זו משימה, it's a challenge, משימת חיינו לראות את האור, it's a challenge to see the light, we're talking about a widow writing after her children got the, the, package, the package of light. So together with us, see us, honor us with all their heart for us, and we know that they see us and think about us is Amitzim organization. They made sure to come all the way to us, to the end of the world. This happens to be a family. Um, uh, it's, it's a widow with, with little uh, orphans that live in the, um, right outside the Gaza Strip, the, the, uh, um, down south. And uh, it, it's, it's a little teeny place. And uh, we came specially for them all the way there. And so we, uh, uh, we were Zachino. Um, uh, we were uh, um, privileged. We were privileged, thank you, Yehuda, for the visit of these uh, of Itzik, somebody for whatever they came and opened up the Hanukkah for us. And uh, I believe that now we will be able to see the light that coming over and more in each one of us and in the house and in our children uh, of, um, of, of our house. And the kids opened up and more open and, and they got excited over opening so many rap, rappers, they felt wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, here we have, uh, my son said, what fun it is to have someone who thinks of you. He wants to do only good for you without getting anything back. Amitim, you are just one big light. Mm. Mm. You know, the, the amazing thing about this, I think you see these packages and you, you see what's in them. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but these were not hugely expensive things. These were just fun, special things for the kids to, to receive. Just the fact that someone thought of them and did something for them. I mean, I, I think of how my wife says that, uh, you know, in the house, she, she looks at me and says, you know, you have to watch your tone. You have to watch your, your, um, your mood. She says, because your mood as the man of the house sets the tone for the rest of the house. Mm. If, if you're grumpy, everyone else is going to be grumpy. Or if you're happy, everyone else is relaxed and happy. So especially in a family where there's just a mother and children, there's this void of direction or mood for the house. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you come in and you provide that, that mm -hmm. enjoyment, mm -hmm. uh, it, it sort of it, it sets a tone, not to take the place of the father, but, but just to set the tone just for a day. Mm -hmm. and make the kids feel happy. So I, I think that's yeah. just great. My seven-year-old asked me if all children received these special Hanukkah gifts. I said to him, no, it's just for the orphan children. Remember what orphans are? They're children like you who have no mother or father. When his friend came to play with him, he told him he had received a box of surprises. And he added, it's not for you, normal children. It's only for us, orphans. <laughs> <laughs> He has one for it. Uh, here we have one more. Roy hung the little light he received as a gift from Amit Sim. Thanks to mommy, he said. When I entered Roy's room, this is the father saying, to give him a hug and a kiss, it was already dark. He asked me, can you turn the lights on? That, that way I'll see mommy lit up in my dreams. Thank you for bringing light into our house tonight mm -hmm. and providing an opportunity for one little boy to see his mother just a little bit brighter. Happy Hanukkah. Mm. Wow. You know, sometimes I, I think we get mixed up with the definition. And when we talked about this, Hadass, in a previous episode with Yehuda, is that, you know, in America, I think we think of the orphan and the widow as uh, we correlate them to poor. They're the poor. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But that's not the, what we read in the Bible. Mm-hmm. We read it, it's the sojourner, the Levite, the orphan, and the widow. Could you explain to us how you see them uh, as related to more of a Levite? Yes. Yes, um, it, it was strange to me that, uh, that that everyone looks at me and treats me as, as a poor person, where um, I didn't ask them for money and um I, you know, like it wasn't anything that I felt that I was regular. I was, I was absolutely regular until the day Yossi passed away, just dropped dead. And the next day I was already approached by, by my neighbors. Uh, if I need any, uh, um, you know, like a need of uh, some sort of a foundation, should they find me a foundation uh, that, that I should, it was very you know, like awkward and felt felt wrong. And then later on, I looked up in the Torah to see the verses, to see what Hashem says about it. And I saw that the one thing that it keeps reminding us is that the young widows and orphans are part of something that's called a group that's called Levite, foreigner, uh, um, widow, and an orphan. And I was like, what's the connection? What's the connection between me the young widow and, and my children, the, the young little uh, um, orphan children. What's, a, what's our connection with the Levites? Why are we connected to the Levites? What, what do we have in common? And the, 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 we have few things in common. But what I felt was that in a way, Hashem says, I built this world. I made this world. And I built nature. And naturally, Things go this way. And I want few unnatural stuff. Unnatural is the Levites, where the Levites um, don't have their own uh, um, uh, um, lot. They, they don't have Nahala. What do you call Nahala? Yeah, heritage land, the land, the land that belongs that's there. They're, yeah. they're just all over the place. They, they, right? They're, they're like uh, thrown all over the place. And, um, and, and they don't have their own. They cannot inherit uh, a piece of land in Israel, unlike the rest of them. And, um, and then I felt that in a way, they're building Hashem, they're, they're taking care, they're watching over Hashem's house, the Mikdash, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. Then this is their job. Their job is to watch over the temple, to take care of it, to clean it, to fix it, to, to prepare it, to do all the, uh, everything in the temple is their job. That's their job, to take care of Hashem's home. And that's when I felt that I belong to that. I take care of Hashem's home. Hmm. The most sacred place in the world is home, is family. And I myself, with these two shoulders, have to take care of his children, of his home. And that is my job. I am a Levite. And it is a hard job unless all everyone comes and help me. Just like we all help the Levites, just so we all give them out you know, like uh, the Masrot and we need to, uh, uh, to, to be there and to uh, uh, you know, take part, same way, Everyone needs to take part of my job, my journey in this world. I, um, I felt it's not a natural thing to, um, you know, to be in and uh, to live this kind of life. And uh, made, made me, um, you know, it gave me mashma'ut. It gave me um, significance. Significance. 
significance and 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 uh, and, uh, and reason and understanding of my situation and what is demanded of me what is Hashem, what does Hashem wants for me and that I should be accepting people's you know like uh, the, their gifts and and their giving I should accept it because I am his levite for this little orphanage called my home with my four little orphans. I really appreciate what you guys are doing right now with Amitzim, especially in this time and this day right now, because just as you said, the unnatural versus the natural, Hadas, you said it was a very unnatural situation. What we're seeing in the world right now is very unnatural. People being encouraged to separate from one another for mm-hmm. out of out of fear or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and so you know that's where calls like this became very popular. You know, everyone had to have some way to commune. We're, we're human beings; we need to commune with one another. It's not natural to leave one another alone, especially right now, widows mm-hmm. and kids who do not have one parent or Amen. the other. Amen. That is really, really important right now that you go into somebody's house, you give them gifts, you give them hugs, you're there for them. I think that's very special, it's very brave of you, and it's very needed and very necessary. So I, for one, want to thank you for what you're doing in Israel, and I hope that you go way past the 10 or 20 Mm -hmm. (laughs) centers that you want to Mm -hmm. create in Israel, Mm -hmm. and it, it just catches on around the world, because this is needed everywhere, especially right now, where there are kids like this all over the world, but there's also the problem of, I know this is not, not your forte, but it's, it's the, the kids who are taken from their homes mm-hmm. and sold into disgusting things. And, and mm-hmm. the, those kids who are rescued, you know, where do they end up? Especially if they don't have one parent or something like this. And so they need to be rescued as well, in the same way that you guys are coming to the rescue of these kids. Can I read something? And I want to ask you, your folks to do something. I want to mm-hmm. read something. And as I read it, I want you to send these pictures to uh, the production group. and okay. These pictures can be up while I read this. Yeah. Okay? okay. I want to read this. Okay, Hadas. This uh, this movie, Amitzim, founded by Mrs. Hadas Desin Glick and Rabbi Yehuda Glick, Amitzim provides a space for young widows and widowers and their young children to give voice to their deepest pains and fears, to connect with others who experience the same trauma, to receive psychological support and to create a new, healthy, normal for their family. I can mm. say, with one who has pushed for them to meet a rude awakening, they had, we had the Yom Teruah event. People should watch it. That was just a little appetizer. This is the beginning of a meal, but I think there's several more courses to this meal. And I, I'm just appreciative of the way that you all called me and the way that you, Scott, and Ted, and Michael. We heard from Michael today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. He sent us a video. He even cracked a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you guys have been awesome, and I just want to say thank you for, you know, the yes and amen as a neighbor. So, Yehuda, where can we go to support what you're doing? You can go to Shalom, you can go to amitsim.com, that's A-M-I-T-S-I-M.com, or shalomjerusalem.org, we're one. And thank you so much for allowing me to see my wife, even though I'm on the other side of the world, (laughs) and I miss you so much. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really, we really need you to, to, to join in with us. We need people yeah. to support what we're doing. We need people to be part of what we're doing. We need every one of you to, because we're doing a, a change in the world and we're bringing the world to what the Bible tells us. We're redeeming the concept of family. And we want every one of you to be part of what we're doing. Amen. Go into amitsin.com and be part of what we are doing. Yes, we have one person. 
Go ahead. Yeah, go no, ahead. I only saw that we have two ambassadors there sitting right there. I, I heard you, Scott, that saying what you're going to do in the house and with your wife and, and, and how the, you know, like what your wife tells you about the tone of the house and everything. And I was like, oh, we already have one ambassador there. <laughs> if only I could learn from my own words. But. All wives <laughs> who receive the compliment, thanks to Hadass. You owe us, uh, you owe us one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. There was one person here, as a matter of fact, in the office who came up to Yehuda and said, I was a young orphan or, or a young widow. Uh, Both. We had one came to say she was, she was a young widow and one who came to say she was a young orphan. Right. And so we have folks even here at Rude Awakening who yes. want to help out. Yes. And they're going to go to Amatine.com and figure out how they can help. Amen. And you can too. And not just financial, but any way you can help. Yes. So just go there, figure out what you can do. And again, thank you, thank you Yehuda. Scott and to Hadas Glick and for joining us. I thank you again, Keith, for thank bringing you, them Scott. here. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on Shabbat Night Live. Well, welcome to this special segment of Shabbat Night Live. We look in the world today and there's lots going on, especially when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. What's really going on there? What's going on on the ground? Can we trust what's, what we see on the news, on social media? We need to talk to somebody who's actually been there, not figuratively, but literally. And we have someone like that in the studio today. Please welcome Trey Sprinkle. Welcome. Scott, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate Certainly. you guys. Um, I've been following the ministry since about 2010, and I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, we're really happy that you're here, and uh, you have uh, a YouTube page all about what's really going on there because you are literally there. Can you tell us the name of your YouTube page? Yep, it's The Last American Outlaw. Um, I was saving that title for a book, but it became a YouTube page. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you can, you can see The Last American Outlaw on YouTube, you can see AmericanOutlawNation.com for the website, and you can kind of see the updates of, of what we're doing. Mm. Um, now, did you start that page because you were going over to Ukraine and helping out? We're going to get into why in a second, but is that where this YouTube thing started for you? No, I started the YouTube thing because I, I um, created a belt for the United States Navy, and after the Navy was buying into it, I needed civilians to buy into it, and I was like, oh, marketing is a lot harder than I thought. And so I started that page to start the marketing side of it, and then it, I never expected it to turn into, you know, I never expected to be in Ukraine, and I never expected it to be a, a kind of a, a way to share my experiences. Mm. Now, speaking of never expecting to go to Ukraine, uh, this whole thing, we didn't expect you to be here, we didn't expect to have the crew here until earlier this week. Uh, we found out that you were coming through and we wanted to have you in here, especially because one of our staff members, Yev Solodovnikova, uh, she is from Ukraine. Her family's actually had to flee to Poland, so she is seeing what is going on the ground. And, and when she knew that you were coming through, she said, oh, can we please get Trey in here? Because he can tell from an American perspective what's going on there. Now, from your American perspective, uh, you had this perspective from being in law enforcement. Can you tell us about where that comes from? Sure, so um, I spent uh, several years in law enforcement. I still work closely with law enforcement. Um, you know, street patrol, sheriff's deputy, and um, I had a lot of a lot of training then, um, and I, I've got to see a lot of situations, not similar, but trauma situations. Sure, they kind of prepared you mentally for it. Um, and then afterwards, since 2015, I've been working with the United States military, um, training them in long range shooting. Okay. Um, so, and then that gave me a, a, a big, bigger perspective, and then I think the ability and the platform to be able to go over to help the Ukrainian military. Okay, so you've been involved in uh, training folks for a long time. So this training and the uh, the 
uh, the shooting was your thing. This was your specialty. Yeah, that, and that's why I went. Um, we had, so I went there with uh, James Yeager from Tactical Response. He's the, I believe he's the largest, he might be the second largest firearms training company in America. Um, and he had some people over there and they said, hey, we really need some help because civilians are, all military age civilians, 18 to 60, had to stay. Hmm. And so they sent their families off. You can see videos where they're, they're kissing their families goodbye and sending them to Poland and, and Romania. And these men have, they're not like Americans. They've never seen a gun. Um, you know, they've never touched one. They don't know how to work them. And so we went there with the goals to be able to help them be safe, not shoot themselves, not shoot their buddies, um, teach them medical training in, in trauma, and um, and how to how to use that to defend themselves. Now, why? I guess the big question is, people would say, "Wait a minute, you you have." family here, right? I mean, that's the whole reason you went over there. Let's start with the story of the reason you decided you needed to do something is because of a video you saw. It was. So I saw a six-year-old little girl, um, and she had been hit with a mortar, and she had passed away. And I saw that, and I thought, man, I'm a dad of three girls, and I know she wanted her dad there. And so okay, well, this is, this is something I can do. I can help, and this is something I'm good at. So I'm gonna go there and help the other little girls' dads and the other little boys' dads um, be able to survive this and come back. And so when they come back from as refugees, they still have a family. Right, because as, as you said, I mean, we, we have to wrap our heads around this where there's, there's been a draft, essentially, is what we would understand it to be. The men are staying. Imagine if in America, all of the women and children had to either take off to Canada or take off to Mexico, and just the guys are left. And you're hoping to get back together at some point. Yeah, and, and not literally unknown. They don't know. And these the Ukrainians have been at war since 2014, I think. Um, and so they understand war. They understand they don't understand it to this scale where they're being attacked and having to be forced out, but their people have have been around this. And so they understand that when they leave, they might not come back. Mm. They may never see their dad again or their wife again. And so the, the fear um, and the sadness that comes with that to kiss your family goodbye, knowing you don't know how long it's gonna be, you have no idea where they're gonna go. Mm. Um, you have no idea if they're even gonna be able to get out of the country. At first, so many refugees were leaving that it was taking like a week just to get a spot on the train to drive out. Wow. That, that's just, uh, it's hard to wrap your, your mind around that. Um, so you decide to go over there because you have family. Like you said, you got three little girls. You're like, well, I need to help out. So people, I'm sure, are watching this going, well, I'd like to help out, but I just can't leave my business. I can't leave it. Now, you did leave a business here, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Um, and, you know, my business is sustaining. So I, I have mm -hmm. people help me run it. Um, but I did. And it, it, it's not, you're not any lesser of a person because you can't leave your life here to go help. Um, but there's other things you can do to help. Um, right. The biggest thing that they need is is funding. They need funding to organizations that are actually doing something to further them. I know a lot of people are saying, well, <clears throat> they need medical supplies. Maybe, but not really. I mean, they've got a lot of medical supplies. Um, the evacuation crews, those guys are pretty much done. Now they are evacuating out of the east as people get hurt, mm -hmm. but they're more evacuating soldiers now to uh, hospitals and trying to get them fixed. Um, because most of the civilians, any of the civilians that were going to leave have left. Okay. Um, 
And so, yeah, there, there are some good programs out there um, that are offering kind of what we are, where you can come in and train the people mm -hmm. um, and teach them to be able to survive this. Now, before we turn the cameras on, I asked you, because I just don't know, how does this work? I mean, how do people from America just go over to Ukraine uh, and just help? I mean, you're bringing your, your skills over there, you're going to be firing weapons. I mean, how is this okay? How, do, how does this work? Well, so the United States State Department has said it's legal for you to be able to travel over there and work in aid to Ukraine. And President Zelensky in Ukraine has opened it up to where you can be from another nation as long as you're willing to help out Ukraine and you are able to come into the country. So mm. everything is legal that if you wanted to be able to go there through the United States, um, I think most other countries, um, check, check if you're going to go. You know, you're not from America. Check and make sure you can go. Um, but if you're from America, you have State Department permission and you have permission from the Ukrainian government until the Ukrainian government no longer has martial law. You have permission to be there, and there's no 90-day visa or any of that. You can, you can stay there indefinitely, and I say indefinitely, until the end of martial law. Mm, okay, now you have an organization that you have created, uh, a 501c3, uh, centered around some of this. It tell us how that works. That's correct, so I started a 501c3 a while ago. Um, it's called Justice. Uh, right now, our focus is on Ukrainian aid, how to help Ukraine, how to help the men and women there. Um, we're not doing a lot with the refugees because there are so many people that have helped the refugees, mm -hmm. but we're doing a lot with the, the civilians that need to be trained uh, in firearms and in medical to be able to survive this. Now, you've been very clear in your videos, and I, and I would have to agree with this as well, is that this is not about Republican versus Democrat. This is not even about Ukraine versus Russia. This is about, look, these people are in a sticky situation that they didn't ask to be in. Uh, and they just need help. They need help defending themselves. Uh, so how do, we, how do we get around that? I mean, when you go over there, I mean, how, how do you keep that out of your mind that this is a political thing? So first off, I'll stick in some B-roll right here. And you can see this is, this is Bucha and this is Erpen. And so the way that I read the Bible in the commandment that thou shalt not murder, I read that as thou shalt not shed innocent blood. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I decided that I would be on the side of the Ukrainian people is because Russia is there. It seems simple to say they're shelling, but what they're doing is they're launching 120 millimeter mortars. So bombs that are this big and they're launching them on people's homes, people's apartments and businesses. And you can see all through this B-roll here that they're, they just destroy everything. And even the buildings that are close, it blows all the windows out of them. Mm. And so as you, as you look at this and you notice to date, I believe they've killed somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 children. That's innocent blood. They don't know their right from their left. And, and you are literally taking a grid map, standing back miles from them where you can't even see them. So these, mm. these Russian soldiers, they don't even see the city. They're, they're so many miles away and they're just bombing them on a grid map so that they don't miss any of the city. And they're just destroying everything and destroying people. And, and besides that, they in Bucha, um, we were there while they were bombing five days in a row in Bucha. And then they took the civilians. And so, so you understand, Ukraine is a lot like America. We have the same kind of you know, roadways and ramps and bridges and buildings. And we eat the same kind of food. 
Um, they I saw have, you talking on a recent video. It's like you're you're comparing one city to like like a smaller version of Dallas, or yeah. I mean, right? it's it's like the same. And so, hmm. uh, big screen TVs and the whole nine yards. You know, it's it's strange to see like a mini America, probably from the 1980s, and and they're fighting and they're being destroyed. You know, as we as we look at this, we say in America, we 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 have chosen sides uh, politically, and it doesn't matter which side you're on. If the other side is for it, the other side is absolutely against it. And so um, because a, one, one party doesn't like um, Ukraine and one party may have benefited off of Ukraine, the other, the other side just hates them. Like, we don't want to have anything to do with this. And again, as, as people who are believers, um, we have to go back to this shedding innocent blood and, and lose politics. And so... When you're there, they, they did have a system like ours where they voted and had Republicans and Democrats. That's not what they called them, but Republicans and Democrats. All of these people have come together like 9-12. Mm. Um, you know, right after the 9-11 attacks, we didn't care, you know, what political party you believed in. We just cared if you were an American, we wanted to help each other out. It was awesome, right? Um, it was very sad, but it was awesome to see us come together. That's how they've come together. Mm. And so political things... They're just not even in your mind anymore. I mean, I know we talked about this off camera, but in America, we have it so good and so safe that it's like we create drama. We create our own problems because we don't have any problems. Right. And, and yes, they've become the greatest problem that we've ever had as an American, but the truth is they're really not that big of a problem. Nobody's trying to kill you. You know, no, you don't have to go to sleep at night and hear the air raid sirens and run to the basement or hope that you're down there fast enough that you don't get one of these mortars and, and takes your life. And unlike in Israel where, I mean, unfortunately they're used to this kind of thing where the Gaza Strip is always throwing things over to Starot and places like this. Ukraine, if you've had relative peace and not that much aggression, like you said, there's been stuff going on since 2014, but you don't really have a bunker. Not everybody has a bunker, or do they? Sure, no, no. And they're so when you talk to the locals, um, they're they're terrified. They're like they're they have a. Whenever you're in a place like this, and and you have a risk of bombs, mm -hmm. you have to tape up all your windows, and then you have to put cardboard boxes up because the glass becomes just shrapnel, and it'll just it tears you apart. And then they all sleep on the floor in the center of their house, mm. and there's no more privacy. There's only sheer terror that they're going through. And so they're afraid to sleep, they're afraid to be awake, they're afraid to go downtown, they're afraid to do everything. And so that really wears on a person. It does, it wears on you. It really, mentally and physically, it wears on your body. So when you go over there, you're, you're helping. So you're part, of a, you're part of a group, I'm assuming. You're not some bone on his own. You, you're part of a group that goes over there and helps folks. So when you go over there, uh, what are you teaching these guys to do? Because obviously, like, they're afraid, and they've never seen a gun before. Um, and in a lot of respects, I can, I can identify with this. Like, I've often told uh, Yev, who works with us, that for Russia to go in and invade Ukraine is a lot, a lot of the same weight as the U.S. invading Canada. You know, down here in the U.S., it's very military-minded. Everybody's been in the military. Up in Canada, not so much. It's a, very few people, relatively, are in the military. And if you were to hand a gun to the average Canadian, they'll go, I don't know what this is. How do I work with this? And that's what you're finding with the Ukrainians, right? So, so how, how do you train them? What, where do you start? Yeah, that's correct. So they don't have a Second Amendment. There's not a gun in every house or almost every house like there is in America. Um, 
And so you've taken these 18 to 60 year old men who have, they've seen their military guys have guns or their police have guns and they've seen some American movies with guns, but overall they don't know anything about them. Hmm. So they don't know to keep your finger off the trigger. They don't know how to take them off safety. They don't know how to load them. They don't know how to Going around like this, point right? yeah. them at everybody. Yep. Um, negligent discharges is whenever you shoot your gun and you didn't mean to shoot your gun, mm. right? You always, there's four firearm safety rules. One of them is be sure of your target and what's beyond it. So we know before we pull the trigger what we're shooting at. Well, a negligent discharge is we pulled the trigger and didn't mean to. Mm. Um, those were going on multiple times a day. So we got to the point where when we first got there, we first, second night, Somebody, one of the guys that was on guard at our place shot inside the building. So we're throwing our gear on like, oh man, we're being attacked. No, he was just, you know, trying to mess with his gun and he shot it. Well, then it ended up to where uh, first three or four days you hear all of these negligent discharges, multiple a day. And you're like, you know, what's going on? And then it got to the point where three weeks into it, it's just normal to hear gunshots everywhere. Mm. You can see my last YouTube video that I did that that you can hear them going off in the background and, and nobody, <laughs> it doesn't phase anybody anymore. Um, oh and so from the time that we started, we teach them the safety, we teach them how to use it, how to not be dangerous to themselves or their friends. Um, and it, it takes a while. It takes a lot of training to be able to get this through. It's It seems like... We think in America, we take it for granted that if you have a gun, you just know how to shoot a gun. That's really not the case. Um, so it, it took a lot of safety training with them to be able to get them up to par. And so while we were there, we did just right at 100 um, men and about six women. Okay. And you're, you're going back at a, in a future date to help again. Uh, and so that is coming up as well. So in the meantime, what we see on the news, whether it's this side of things or that side of things politically, there's, you know, there's false narratives all over the place. So you having been there, what would you like to dispel and what would you like to bring out as the truth and what we really need to know as Americans and how, how we can help? Okay, yeah, so <clears throat> when we were on the way there, we had what I would describe as the boogeyman now. So everybody has a story that maybe they've heard from somebody or maybe they've heard three or four times from different people and the story is now not actually the story anymore. Um, or you see the news reporting and they're only reporting from one area and they're making that what they needed to be um, to support their narrative. <clears throat> so it started with us when we got to Poland, we flew into Warsaw and then we had to take a train. And so we took a train, it was a Soviet era train um, and it just had one car. And we had heard from several different locals there that uh, the Russians were stopping those trains and attacking everybody inside of there. They were stopping them and taking a, a cars and taking equipment out of the cars. We heard that the Ukrainians were stopping you at the border, stealing all your stuff, beating you up and sending you back. Um, we heard that trains were being blown up along the way and, and it took a lot of courage to just even say, okay, with all of the bad stuff that we're hearing, we have one person inside of Ukraine in Kiev saying, I don't think any of that's true. Just get on the train and come here. So we did. We had we believed him. We got on the train and we came. And um, we stopped in Poland and they, the customs checks your stuff, asks you what you're doing, why you're going. Then you stop in Ukraine on the Ukraine side 
And what they don't tell us, and, and this is the story that we got, so I don't know how factual it is, but the tracks in Ukraine are former Soviet Union tracks, so they're smaller. And Stalin, they told us, Stalin did not want the, the NATO to be able to drive their trains through, or I think Germany, didn't want to be able to drive their trains on those tracks and just come in. And so they made the tracks smaller. And so nobody told us that they were switching the tracks are switching the trucks on the train. So we were four hours in customs where we didn't speak any of the, the language. They came and they looked through all of our stuff and they had you know AKs and, and they looked kind of mad at us and we we're like, I don't know what's going on. And then they took our passports and I'm like, oh great, this is it. We don't know what to do. We're here four hours. They're arresting us. We're gonna be prisoners because we can't tell the difference over there who's who. Mm. Um, they all kind of wear the same uniforms and, and they talk the same. And so we're like, so let's let's hold that because I think there's more to the story here, but we're out of time. So would you come back and help everyone understand what's really going on over there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So Trey, Trey Sprinkle, thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you for joining us for this extra special edition of Shabbat Night Live. And uh, there's more to the story. So come back and hear some more. Okay. <laughs> 